My message today is entitled, True Love Puts Others First. I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Verse 5, It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let me ask you a question. What is the opposite of love? I'll let you know it's not hate, although it may take that form. The opposite of love is selfishness. When both sides of a relationship are concerned only about their individual desires, the stage is set for conflict. The Bible gives us another way, the way of Christ. True love, the Word says, is self-giving, not self-seeking. True love puts the needs of others first. This is what Christ did when He left heaven's glory and came down to earth for us. Many people don't realize that part of Jesus coming to earth. They know the story of the nativity. They know the story of what He did. But remember that He left a place of perfect of perfection where there was no sin. And He came down to live in this world. And right now, all of us are waiting to leave this world to go up to that place of perfect perfection. Think of just that part right there, that He left perfection to come down to be with us and for us. Jesus came to earth as the Son of God. He would be the Anointed One, the promised Messiah, the One the prophets had talked about, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But on a practical level, He was much more than that. He was a servant through and through. He modeled this through His words, of course. But more importantly, Jesus lived His life on earth as a servant because He is led by His heart, a true servant's heart. When Jesus began speaking the Word of God to the devil, remember He was baptized and went into the wilderness to be 40 days of fasting and praying and tempted continuously by the devil? Well, the devil kept coming back at Him until Jesus delivered the silencing blow. Do you know what that knockout punch was that sent the enemy running? Matthew 4, verse 10 and 11. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus' response was not only about serving, but He also gave us the key to true serving. When we are serving, we need to see that we are ultimately serving the Lord by taking care of His children, His family, whom He created and whom He loves. However, you've probably heard this fact before, but it's been documented time and time again that in churches across our country, probably across the world, that 80% of the work done is 80% of the work is done by only 20% of the people, or even less. 
What would cause this to happen? A wrong perspective. If church members only see the church asking for people to meet building needs and ministry needs, it's far easier to turn down that request because they are involved in other things and other responsibilities. But if we all really understood the words of Jesus, that it is God whom we serve, maybe more people would share the burden of serving in their local churches to serve the Lord and His people. Our focus in serving is paramount to our enjoyment of serving and our ability to grow as servants and as Christians. Ultimately, if we see that it is God whom we are serving, we will not ever expect God to thank us or to praise us or to give us credit as often as the temptation when people serve others. Jesus was a true servant. And we can see this throughout the, His whole ministry on earth. So many people look only at His miracles, only at His words. But when we look at His actions too, we see a true servant. If we take a look at His first splash on the scene, we see that He modeled serving. His first public miracle was done at a wedding in Cana. Contrary to what some like to believe, this message is not about God how God blesses a party or how God gives people license to really get drunk. This message is about serving. You laugh, but I've heard that preached before. This message is about serving. He is a servant's heart. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. Notice that the members of the wedding party did not ask Jesus to do something, but His mother. And since Jesus had not performed any miracles yet, why did Mary mention this concern to Him? There was a lot that Mary did not yet know about Jesus. But she did know that He had a servant's heart. John 2, verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with Me? My hour has not yet come. John 2, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Whatever He says to you, do it. Given the fact that Jesus was about to step into the miraculous, He could have done this feat all by Himself. Right? Snapped His fingers and it's all done. But He didn't do that. Why? Because a huge part of serving involves other people. It's not to just meet the need. It's to do it with others. That's why we have a church. Jesus modeled this truth for us when He involved those around Him in miraculously meeting this need. Have you ever thought that a certain task you need to do would be a whole lot easier if you just did it by yourself instead of involving others? If you did, you probably would be normal. But if we did everything by ourselves, there would be no connection. No channel 
through which we could pass love and caring and compassion and sympathy and empathy and kindness. In fact, this is one of the signs of the end times. Matthew 24, verse 12, says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. When people stop serving with others, involving others, and working alongside others, our love can very easily grow cold. I don't know about you, but if there's one thing I'm tired of hearing, is people complaining about how bad and how corrupt our world is. How bad or corrupt our country is and political leaders are and how bad society is. So many people, especially Christians, spend so much time each and every day and week glued to news stations and internet articles and social media to be continually upset by what's going on in the world. Then they talk about it with others and grumble and complain and talk so poorly about everyone else. I'm going to be honest with you, I really don't get it. If we claim to be Christians, and Christians are called to read and to study and to know the Word of God, then why do so many Christians complain about the deterioration of society? Jesus told us that all of this would happen many years ago. Read the entirety of Matthew chapter 24. He foresaw all of this. Read the book of Revelation. Folks, Jesus prophesied that all of this would happen and a whole lot more, and still Christians seem so shocked and so surprised and so upset. Titus chapter 3, verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies in genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. All the conspiracies and controversies that are being peddled today, especially amongst Christians, is unprofitable. Titus tells us that with all these controversies and arguments and quarrels, it is unprofitable and useless. Now please listen to what the Word of God is saying. I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a Jesus statement. God is telling us that it doesn't matter if you are right or wrong about your controversy or about your argument or about your beef with a politician or a social movement. What He is saying is that if we spend the bulk of our time arguing and debating and slandering others, and being upset about the very things that Jesus prophesied would happen, then we live unprofitable and useless lives. It's not about whether one side is right or whether one side is wrong. It's about our response to the problem. Because what happens is we think that our response should be to talk poorly about others. And we think our response should be to continue to complain and continue to grumble. That's not the response that Jesus told us that we should have. We can choose to be unprofitable and useless 
by continuing to argue and debate and complain and slander others. And in fact, the more we complain and the more we appear so outraged and shocked by what is happening in our world, the more we show others that we don't read our Bibles and we don't know what Scripture says. We can choose this path of ignorance if we want. Or we can actually follow Jesus in the way that He has called us to follow His example. We think our rights are taken away and our laws are bad. They killed Christians in Jesus' time. And yet He had a different response. We can choose to spread the Gospel. We can choose like Jesus to pray for our enemies. We can choose to share the uncompromising biblical truth in every response to the unraveling of society and serve others unconditionally. I don't know if any of you have got a chance to watch the Olympics. I was watching it. Nancy and I were watching it yesterday. We watched the, some volleyball matches. And I noticed in volleyball what really brings a, takes a, a beginning team to a mature team is, is, is someone that knows how to set the ball to go in to get the point. A, a, an undisciplined team just hits the ball back and forth. But a, a disciplined team gets the ball and they save it and they dig it and they set it up and they go in for the point. I really believe, as I was praying about that, that God said, I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up to go in for the point, to deliver truth. That God has allowed all this to happen as He said would happen and He puts us in conversations, whether it's on the street corner or in the store or with friends, and it's our chance at that moment to say, but Jesus is our answer. It's our point right there when it's set up to insert Jesus into the equation, not just agree and complain and grumble. Jesus is the answer. We are getting all these sets, and if we remain undisciplined, we'll just join into the grumble and complaining. But if we have the boldness by the Holy Spirit to say, yes, yes, this is unfair. Yes, this is ungodly. But Jesus is the answer. We need to pray for others. We need to serve others. We need to be the love of Jesus. God wants us to share His response every chance we get. And God's given us a lot of chances right now. Our response to injustice needs to be serving those in need. Our response to hatred needs to be prayer and serving with unconditional love. Our response to controversies and debates and arguments needs to be less about leading with our mouths to complain and more about leading with our hearts, just as Jesus did. Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16. One of my favorite Scripture passages. As a school teacher in a public school for many years, I've always had this right on my desk to remind me of this truth from God's Word. It says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. How? By holding fast the Word of life. I should not have to convince any one of you that the world we now live in is full of darkness. Jesus Christ came to be a light in the darkness. And He even said to us that you are the light of the world. 
However, if we want to shine as lights in the world to have contrast from the darkness, then we have to stop complaining with the world and disputing with the world like Paul admonishes us. If we continue to complain and dispute and grumble and debate, then we become part of the darkness, part of the landscape of the darkness. And our lamplight goes out. We have to follow Jesus' lead. It's our flesh that pulls us into that and says, it's not fair, it's wrong. Yes, it is. It is all wrong. It is all immoral. It is all corrupt. But arguing is not the way to respond to it. We need to be Jesus to the world. You cannot do that in your own strength. It's very, very difficult to do. But if you ask God, He will meet you at your need so that we can be a light in the darkness. Jesus taught biblical truth wherever He went. He didn't just silently sit in conversations. We know that Jesus sat with sinners, but He didn't just sit there and stay quiet. He sat and He taught truth and He spoke truth and He didn't change how He talked because of who He was around. He continued to serve them whether they deserved it or not. Every time someone or something came against Jesus, He led with biblical truth and compassion. Then He always backed it up by serving others. Healing others. Teaching others with grace. Being led by compassion. And refusing to change His tone regardless of who was around Him. What does being led with compassion mean? It means when we see somebody who is being difficult, who's being ungodly, who's being rude, we don't just get upset at that. We look at, at their heart and say, this is someone who's wounded. This is someone who has not had their life changed by Jesus yet. This is someone who's in a difficult spot, and so my compassion is for their spirit, not just how they're treating me. If our compassion is for the lost, then by serving, we break that curse. We break that Spirit. Jesus led with His heart. And that is exactly what He has called us to do as His followers. This is how we are to respond to the injustices that He told us would happen. We must have a godly perspective in serving others. If our channel through which love flows, if it is not refreshed by constant use of sharing the Gospel, of flowing love and compassion and thanksgiving, then we risk it drying up and turning cold. This, in fact, is one of the greatest fears of technology, that people will not need others as much. Their channels of compassion and kindness will dry up from lack of use and love will grow cold. I'm sure you've seen this scene and whether it's in your home or whether it's in restaurants where a whole family sits together and everyone has their phone. And they're all doing their own thing. Right? Think of that. what that does is we say we don't need each other. We just need this phone. And then remember that Jesus said that the love of many would grow cold. If we don't use it, if we don't take advantage of this chance to love one another and serve one another, then we risk becoming part of the society that grows cold. 
The greatest way to prevent this from happening is to involve others through humbly serving others and with others. This is one of the main reasons God initiated the church. So that we could serve together and become the living body of Christ together in this world. But not just our church. To serve with every life-giving church. To serve with other life-giving ministries. It doesn't matter under whose roof they are. We're all part of God's family. And to meet those needs, if we come together and serve, then it, it gives us that contrast in the darkness so that we can be the light that the world needs. Another positive thing about serving with others is that we lose ourselves in the serving. In other words, our motivation is not, not to purely just meet a need, but to do it for God. And then when we do that, we don't look for any credit for ourselves. This is accomplished first by keeping God as our focus in serving. For it is Him, like the Scripture says, it is Him only whom we serve. But also by serving with others whenever possible. There are times, if we're honest, that all of us have at times volunteered to help someone. But then we talked about what we did, which allowed us to get credit or to be recognized. This is an example of a false motivation. True serving should be done to bless someone else, not to be thanked for what we did or to be recognized by how much money we gave. When we serve with others, it helps no one person get the credit. The credit and the glory belong to God who loved us and called us into His service. John 2, verse 6, coming back to the wedding in Cana, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Verse 8, And He said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Notice how Jesus involves others with them as they serve the water that was turned into wine. And the people are blessed. This is what He has called the church, the living body of Christ, to do. We are called to serve with one another and we are called to serve one another. Serving opens the door for Jesus to come into people's lives and change them for eternity. There are times when you can serve someone who's so angry against you, who has so much hurt and woundedness coming out, that if you just simply serve them instead of lecturing them or ignoring them, that the serving has the power to break whatever bondage they're in. That's why we serve. That is how the church is called to function. Matthew 20, verse 28, our memory verse for today tells us that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, He didn't come to be waited on like many kings. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Think about it. Jesus was about to undergo the most crushing time of His life. He was about to be persecuted and mocked and everyone left, left Him. And He easily could have thought about Himself, but He exemplified the, give, the example of love. 
right before he was arrested, he bent down and girded himself and washed the feet of his disciples. He demonstrated serving when every attack was coming against him. That set the stage for him to go all the way through and accomplish his will. We all have been called not just to be served, but to serve and to share the life that was given for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would quicken this message to our hearts. We thank You for sending Jesus to loved us and died for us, but also gave us the example of serving one another. As we reflect on this song this morning, God, help us to be that servant. Help us to push beyond whatever things that have kept us back to fully receive all that You have done for us so that we can be Your light in this world. Thank You, Lord God, to minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen.